Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The following episode is from Marxist University, a series of discussions held in the fall of 2020 to introduce people to the most fundamental and pressing Marxist ideas. It is clear that urgent action on climate change is needed, but the capitalists and their political representatives are completely incapable of carrying out the radical changes that are required. The necessary action will never take place so long as those in power put profits before the health of the planet. In this episode, Fightback activist Alvaro discusses why we need a revolution to fight climate change. So I'm going to begin with the assumption that since you are here listening to this discussion, that you understand climate change is a pressing issue for the working class today. Uh, this is especially true for Marxists. I'm not going to try to convince anyone that the climate crisis exists because I think every day we see the problems of the climate crisis banging at our door. Ultimately, the point of this presentation is to clearly out how capitalism is the root cause of the crisis and to present the socialist solution to it. Now, some of you may be surprised that Marxists would care about the environment. Often, Marxists are characterized as only caring about workers' revolution. When you put any problem in front of us, we pull out the handy One Solution Revolution card, and with that, we gain the moral high ground and win the argument. But this is not the case. And if the Marxists in your life are doing this, let us know because we're going to have to do an intervention for them. Jokes aside, while it is correct that we need a revolution, this doesn't sufficiently answer the questions that most workers, students, people in general are demanding answers for. Questions like, why does climate change exist when we have the scientific advances to reverse it? What happens to the workers who rely on non-renewable energy to feed their families and pay their rent? Can we just tax carbon and de-incentivize pollution? And my favorite, why don't you tell people to vote for the Green Party? Um, to answer these questions and propose real solutions, requires a material understanding of the crisis as a whole. So in a sentence, we can say that the current climate crisis is the result of capitalism. But concretely, what does that mean? We should start by discrediting capitalism. So capitalism means that there is a private ownership over technology and the means of production by the capitalists to make profit. Capitalists need to make a profit or they would go out of business and cease to be capitalists. So this competition forces the capitalists to fight whatever their individual intentions or moralities may be to keep their costs as low as possible. To do this, the capitalists lay off workers, drive down wages and benefits, and get rid of any regulation or standards that stand in the way of their profits. It is the anarchy of the market that decides, without a grease of land, what is produced, how it is produced, and how much of it is to be produced. Capitalists, by default, do not give one single rat's ass about the environment or the people who live in it unless doing so increases their profits. <clears throat> now, despite the countless individualist solutions that have been put forward by industry, governments, and activists alike, the reality is that under capitalism, the working class doesn't have the luxury of simply opting out of the environmental crisis. It's only 100 companies that are responsible for 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And fundamentally, we can't change anything that we do not control. Regardless, it is worth looking at some of these solutions that have been put forward. 
So global leaders meet every few years to set emission targets and pat themselves on the back for solving the global economic crisis, or global environmental crisis, pardon me. Then they go home and realize they can't meet their targets and push them back until they realize they can no longer put a positive spin on it and repeat the process all over again. The reason why they, can't, they cannot meet their targets or solve any environmental problems is because they rely on market-based solutions. Market-based solutions are policies that use markets, price, and other economic manipulations, manipulations to provide incentives for polluters to reduce or eliminate emissions. Things like cap-and-trade schemes and carbon taxes are examples of this. There are dozens of nations that have adopted carbon tax policies dating back to the early 90s, from Sweden and Finland to South Africa and Japan. While the specifics of each region's taxes vary, the outcomes have been shown to be very much the same. The working class pays, while corporations pumping the majority of emissions into the atmosphere weasel out of doing pretty much anything. All the while, the actual reduction in consumption and emissions is a drop in the bucket compared to what would actually slow down climate change. Trudeau's carbon tax, for example, allows an estimated 80% of industry emissions to go untaxed. In Alberta, the NDP also implemented a carbon tax. They implemented this tax after Alberta lost 100,000 jobs in 2014, after two economic crises, and after oil and gas companies cut corner after corner, allowing waste to leach into our waterways. The Alberta NDP came out with the tax and told us we all have to chip in and clean up the crisis. And I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say it was a slap in the face of, to working class people in Alberta. It reminded me of when my class went on a field trip to pick garbage to pick up garbage in the river valley and my teacher told us that we should all do our part so we should recycle more turn off the tap when we brush our teeth and take shorter showers okay so the alberta carbon tax was a really weird time it's one of the few times i can actually remember where the oil burns in alberta and the conservatives disagreed on something the conservatives were adamantly against it yet the oil barons were in favor of it the ceo of suncor even said we think a broad-based carbon price is the, right, is the right answer. Now, what was this? We need to understand that, um, sorry. We need to understand that for the working class, wages have remained stagnant, and in some cases have even fallen in Canada since the 80s. For working class Albertans, this was another burden on their already overstretched wallets. But for the oil barons, the carbon tax was a small price to pay to be able to deflect the blame from them onto the working class. By opposing the carbon tax, the conservatives could remain ideologically pure and portray themselves as defenders of the free market, finding to keep more money in your pockets. Once, once the conservatives came into power, they swiftly removed the tax. As for the Alberta NDP, trying to play ball with the oil companies, sending out Valentine's saying, we'll build a pipeline straight to your heart, and helping to put the blame for the environmental crisis on the Alberta working class, didn't really work for them. After one term, they were dumped. So another market-based solution that's often proposed by environmentalists has been subsidies to green companies and green capitalists. To be honest, this too has been a complete failure, but again, it's worth discussing. And really, Elon Musk is a really good example for this. So a tally taken all the way back in 2015 showed that the US government had given Tesla $5 billion in direct grants, tax breaks, cut rate loans, tax credits, and rebates. That's just in the US and doesn't even include indirect subsidies like electric vehicle friendly infrastructure. It's worth asking, has Musk actually done anything tangible for the environment? 
has Musk done anything tangible for his workers? He promised everyone an affordable electric vehicle that would save the planet. Not an expensive piece of shit that's impossible to maintain, has a battery that is incredibly carbon intensive to produce, and is charged by electric, electric produced using fossil fuels. Elon and his supporters have tried to defend themselves, of course, by saying they're not the only ones receiving subsidies. And really, that's such a useless argument. It's like a thief trying to defend himself by saying, I'm not the only thief here. They're all crooks, right? The green subsidies in all their forms and always bankrolled by the working class have yet to create any accessible option that actually has any impact on the environment. And carbon trading schemes are another example of a failed market-based solution. Uh, this was a favorite of the Kyoto Treaty, but has been proven to be essentially ineffective again. The basic idea is that companies could offset their emissions by paying for green projects elsewhere. In theory, this is great. Um, it encourages less reliance on emission producing fuels, while at the same time avoids the costs associated with moving away from those fossil fuels altogether. Carbon credits could be issued by projects that would reduce emissions or improve energy efficiency. The carbon credits could be traded out, could, sorry, could be traded on carbon exchanges, and polluters could buy the credits and count them as a reduction of their own pollution. Several travel agencies, for example, now offer customers a chance to offset the carbon emissions produced by air travel through paying for credits in schemes for energy efficiency. Yet the Financial Times says that it has found widespread instances of people and organizations buying useless credits that do not yield any reductions in carbon emissions. Their investigation has exposed this approach as a multi-billion dollar scam which will provide few real benefits. Of course, other than massive profits for some of the participants. In a series of articles published by the Financial Times, they described how a carbon gold rush has led to the setting up of a large number of carbon offset trading companies, which act as intermediaries between buyers and sellers of carbon credits. Many of the projects that have been set up will fail to deliver the promised reductions in carbon dioxide. The Financial Times quotes an insider in the market as saying, I would expect that half of the credits would not come through in the end. In many cases, credits are being sold for projects that do not even exist. So these companies can buy phony carbon credits for green projects that don't exist from companies that may or not be sock puppets for those buying credits to pretend that they're reducing their carbon footprint. It's really basically a cartoonish green Ponzi scheme. And because of the, because of the implementation of market-based solutions, it allowed overconsumption to come into the public consciousness. The idea that we, as individuals, are living beyond our ecological means is something we hear pretty often on the left, especially from environmental activists. We're told we all just need to do our part, that if we make small changes, they'll accumulate and solve the environmental crisis. This is basically the idea of ethical consumption, and this is absolutely false. But again, I'm going to explain. So the roots of ethical consumption really began in the 90s. They used to sweat all labor in the third world by companies like Nike, Apple, and Walmart, among others, were exposed and brought to light. Also around this time, human-caused climate, human climate change began to become a concern for people other than climate scientists. Uh, the result of this increased awareness led people, typically with higher incomes, to begin advocating for what is known as ethical consumption. The basic idea is that each of us, as individuals, can vote with our dollar, and due to the laws of supply and demand, capitalism will stop exploiting people and the environment. But capitalism has simply adapted to this new situation and created markets for sustainable, fair trade, organic, eco-friendly products. 
And that's exactly what capitalism does. And these markets are no different than non-eco-friendly, unsustainable, non-fair trade markets. And the results are still the same. The wealth of society continues to be concentrated into fewer and fewer hands. So it's now 2020. People have gone green, eaten vegan, and, brought, and bought fair trade for years. That the atrocities of capitalism continue, and the environment is still dying. The working class produces enough food to feed two worlds. Yet every year, millions of children die of malnutrition. Compassionate capitalists who voted to end hunger donated a meager 1.08% of their profits to actually alleviating hunger and poverty. Over three, people, over three billion people live in poverty, yet five people own as much wealth as 50% of the population. Ethical consumption, like other solutions within the bounds of capitalism, have shown to have a negligible impact on her emissions, precisely because of an imbalance of pollution. As I mentioned earlier, 100 companies produce 70% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So a 2012 study found the carbon footprint of someone who consumes ethically and someone who doesn't aren't significantly different. The same study also found that working class people cannot afford a sustainable lifestyle due to poverty, lack of accessibility, and long working hours. Uh, for example, I have a good friend who drove a car for months that ended, put, that ended up putting her in the emergency room with carbon monoxide poisoning because she couldn't afford a safe car, much less could she afford a Prius. And this may be a hard truth to swallow, but it wouldn't matter if every person went vegan, used paper straws, bought an energy efficient washing machines. Individual solutions may make some consumers feel better about, their, about living under capitalism, but they fundamentally do not address the root cause of the destruction and exploitation of the planet, capitalism. For the working class, uh, for the working class, Going green is ultimately more expensive and has next to no impact. The working class is shamed to spending, to spending more money. Environmentalists get to feel good for doing their part, and capitalists continue to make profits. The market continues to produce as cheaply and irresponsibly as possible, and greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise. Again, it always comes back to the same question. Who is actually doing the majority of polluting? Under capitalism, it's not, it's not possible for everyone to make ethical choices due to the systemic and economic inequality. However, the desire of working people to fix the crisis, save the world for their children and grandchildren still exists. It's only now just been commodified. And the capitalists love this for a couple of reasons. The so-called ethical green products are more expensive. Uh, and despite the profits going to the exact same place, the value or appeal of ethical consumption also allows the blame of climate change to be placed on individual working class people and not on the capitalists where it belongs. The reality is people who buy unethically are not voting with a dollar for slavery, destruction of drinking water or environmental catastrophe. Any more than those who buy ethically are voting for clean air, crisp water and careless deers bouncing through meadows of wildflowers. And if we think about this critically for a moment, if every dollar really is a vote, someone like myself who you know has tens and tens of dollars in my bank account does not have the same voting power as a millionaire, much less a billionaire. So as long as the majority of wealth remains concentrated in the hands of a minority exploiting class, producing for profit instead of human need, workers' rights and sustainability will suffer. The choice of individual consumers are unimportant within the context of capitalist production. The major flaw of ethical consumption is that it's based on the illusion that there exists a more ethical option under capitalism 
that if we pay a couple of extra dollars, dollars of planet organic, that if we have a paper straw, literally biodegrade in our mouths, that we can achieve a more compassionate capitalism where the most profitable is also the most moral. Ethical consumption suggests that production for profit is okay, as long as it comes from a gentle capitalism that is nice to its workers, that cares about the environment. The reality is that the only way capitalists can make a profit is by exploiting nature and the working class. There is no way around it. Ethical consumption will always be an oxymoron as long as capitalism exists. Ultimately, I would go so far as to argue that the idea of ethical consumption is reactionary even. It, although it does nothing for the environment, it does divide the working class between those who are moral because they can afford to purchase ethically and those that are immoral because they cannot. So one proposal that gained a considerable amount of traction in recent years is the Green New Deal. The term has been floating around for a while now and its definitions change depending on who you're speaking to. So I'll kind of focus mostly on the plan proposed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, spearheaded last year for the sake of simplicity. And because proposed US legislation pulled the consciousness of many workers towards the issue of climate change. So the Green New Deal is a set of proposed policies that would achieve a complete overhaul of all sectors of the economy, including agricultural, transportation, manufacturing, energy production, construction, and housing. In addition to generating full employment for all, affordable housing, and healthcare for all. Additionally, it sets out to end historic economic discrimination based on gender and race. The Green New Deal really marked a shift in how people thought about climate change beyond the market-based or individual solutions presented in previous decades and was an objective step forward. And as Marxists, we wholeheartedly agree with the pressing and urgent need for these demands to be met. However, the Green New Deal is not a solution to the climate crisis. If we look at the original New Deal in the 1930s, we can see that why this won't work. While not his original plan, Roosevelt was forced to offer concessions to the working class as militant labor movements demanded a solution to the ongoing economic crisis of that time. They demanded answers for why they were unemployed, hungry, and homeless. On threat of revolution, FDR pumped funding into various public work projects, financial reforms, and regulations. But the new, the new deal did not work to alleviate the economic, um, the economic situation of the 1930s. It didn't prevent a renewed economic downturn in 37 and 38, when a quarter of a million families were evicted from their homes, and there were two million homeless people migrating around the country. The set of reforms didn't work because it simply wasn't enough. The Great Depression was a crisis of capitalism, a crisis of over, overproduction. Marx wrote about this crisis and how it is inherent to capitalism over 100 years ago, and wherein there's too much products for the working class, the consumers, to actually buy. It was not the New Deal, but the destruction of the means of production and the retooling efforts of World War II that actually laid down the foundations for the post-war boom and a fix to this economic crisis. And the reason the Green New Deal can't achieve the goals, particularly the economic ones it sets out to achieve, are the same reasons that the original New Deal failed. It's why we're facing another economic crisis, said to be worse, just barely a decade after the 2008 crisis. The Green New Deal ultimately has in mind, set, has in mind, uh, has set itself the task of saving capitalism. And at the end of the day, as long as that is the goal, any solution will fail. Capitalism will always fall into crisis because crisis is hardwired into its DNA. 
that as long as capitalism exists, the environment will continue to be plundered and destroyed in the pursuit of capitalist profits. Reforms that seek to control industry and force capitalists to be more environmentally conscious are built on the idea that governments that control corporations. In reality, it's the other way around. As Marx points out in the Communist Manifesto, politicians are the, only the executive committee of the ruling class. It is the capitalists who are really in control and they have a stranglehold on everything. Now, not only have we seen a failure of ethical consumption to pretty much anything, we've also seen a complete failure of international leaders to do anything. They constantly, they're constantly meeting at these global climate summits where they fly across the world emitting greenhouse gases, sitting in the air conditioned rooms, waffling away, not really doing much of anything except for agreeing that they really need to agree or else we'll be facing an unavoidable climate catastrophe. And you can see nothing really comes from this. I mean, and I believe that even people in the climate change movement can clearly see the impotence of these political leaders to address something that is an international problem. All these leaders ultimately die tied down by one of the fundamental limits of capitalism, the modern nation state. The fact that all these countries are trying to protect the profits of their own individual capitalists and are trying to export the crisis, not only the economic crisis, but the environmental one elsewhere. People sometimes point to a reduction in emissions in places like Britain, but in reality, those emissions and production has been exported elsewhere. And that place then gets blamed for their emissions. Uh, the best example is China, right? What we really have is an international problem, but the barrier of the nation state does not allow for the does not allow for international solutions. The environmental crisis cannot address this problem on a national basis. And hopefully no one brings this up, which is in case globalization has not solved our economic problems either, let alone our environmental ones. In 2008, when the last major economic crisis hit, what did the different political leaders do? They saved their own local capitalists, their own banks, auto companies, all these companies came running to the protection of their states and governments, asking for bailouts. And they still cut thousands of jobs and greenhouse gases emissions continue to rise. Keynesian measures of green deals, taxation, and the promotion of green industry have failed. Capitalism is in crisis. What these measures do, well, what these measures do is transfer private debt to public debt. And to, let's be clear here, governments are already up to their necks in public debt, and there really isn't any money left over for them to spend on research on green technology let alone to implement it. And they can't afford to create green new jobs that are desperately needed because all of the advanced capitalist countries are so indebted. Governments across the world are carrying out massive austerity, slashing funding to social necessities like healthcare, education, social services. The issue isn't governments, the issue isn't governments, the issue isn't that governments don't have any money to spend. The issue is they don't have money of their own to spend. The only money governments have is through what they can raise in taxes. So it really does come down to a simple question, who pays for the crisis? And this is ultimately a class question. Will it be the capitalists or will it be the working class? And as far as the environmental crisis is concerned, who is going to pay for the things we need in order to avert the climate crisis? Now, I know I run through a lot of ideas that I, I think won't work, they just won't. Um, but I hope I haven't painted too bleak of a picture. Um, we're still a Marxist organization. And good Marxists don't only criticize, but we also offer solutions as well. So if you've read Marx, there's a quote in the contribution of the political economy that I think works well here. Mankind inevitably only sets itself such tasks as it is able to solve. In other words, 
we only really ever perceive of a problem in society when the material conditions in society have grown to the point where it can solve these crises. In our time, it's only when we start to we start to see the problems of climate change that capitalism had already developed the means by which we could solve these very problems. And humanity does have technology and the wealth inside to address ecological problems. Earlier, I said I don't governments don't have the money to solve the ecological crisis. And this is true. However, there exists enough wealth in society to do so. The main problem is the wealth is concentrated in the hands of a tiny private few individuals. The wealth is already out there and could be used, but under capitalism, if it cannot be used to increase private wealth, it sits doing nothing in a bank account in some tax haven. Currently, we have $600, sorry, $600 billion spent on by fossil fuel companies worldwide to so for new sources of oil, gas, coal, etc., and another $600 billion spent by governments subsidizing these industries. Not to mention the trillions spent on military weapons use in invade countries that have massive deserts where we could be putting up solar panels, but instead we drill into them to get the oil underneath. What is even more fundamental to capitalism is a trillion sitting idle in banks. This is money that is not being used, that isn't being invested. It isn't being put into any kind of productive use towards solving any worldwide issue. And this isn't some kooky Marxist conspiracy. If we remember a few years ago when the Panama Papers were released, these documents exposed the fact that there were billions and billions and billions of dollars being hoarded simply because these capitalists felt it was safer to keep it in banks and to invest it in anything. The money is there very clearly, but it's not used productively because of the inherent need of capitalism to produce a profit. The technology also exists, but again, it is not profitable to invest in. It is really not a scientific problem, but one of ownership, or more precisely, a private ownership. Private ownership of ideas themselves, intellectual property rights, this forces different companies to compete against each other to recreate the same technologies in a slightly different way. Um, I mean, if we just look at this, is there really that big of a difference between a Samsung phone and an iPhone? And imagine what we could already have if the best engineers and scientists from both these companies were together to develop cell phone technologies instead of recreating what's already been invented. This private ownership of knowledge also prevents valuable information being shared between scientists. Only a few months ago, it was revealed that Russia had stolen COVID research from the Americans. Um, but my, and it was a scandal. But why is COVID research even being hoarded? Why aren't scientists worldwide sharing all this information with each other, helping each other out to develop a vaccine? Again, the answer is simple, profits. The American government wants to ensure that their companies are the first to develop a COVID vaccine so they can sell it to humanity and make money. Technology and science created by humanity should be a global resource, but instead it's hoarded. Rather than coordinating investment in development of technology and intellectual efforts to address the ecological crisis, companies instead are pitted against one another in competition with the only people benefiting being the lawyers in court cases when everyone sues each other while patent infringement. There is no one technology, nor one single solution to the climate crisis, but many technologies that if integrated together in a rational, planned way, could solve these things. Obviously though, such integration involves some kind of plan and cannot be possible under private ownership, under capitalism. So we come back to the fact that we can, we can solve these crises. It's not a matter of scarcity of technology or money. As Marx pointed out, the problem is who controls the resources and for what purpose. Take food, for example. 
The earth makes more than enough food for everyone, but we still have poverty among plenty. Oftentimes you'll see famines in countries that are net exporters of food. These famines, more precisely than being man-made, are capitalist-made. Capitalism doesn't recognize social needs. When it talks about demand, it's really talking about the ability to pay, not the demand for a hungry stomach to be fed. In that sense, the famines we see today are not natural disasters. They're entirely man-made. Yes, the unexpected, unexpected climate events happen, but the effects that they have on society are not natural. The lasting impacts they have are completely dependent on the economic development of that place. How can you have a place like Bangladesh, where millions of people are, are at threat of flooding every single day, and a country like Holland, which is halfway underwater, but nobody seems to notice? The point is that it is a question of economic development. Countries like Bangladesh, through centuries of imperialism and capitalism, have been kept underdeveloped in order to squeeze these people of their wealth by the ruling class. While advanced capitalist countries are able to solve, solve these problems as they arise. Once again, we arrive at the question of the climate crisis as not a question of money or technology, but a question of class and who owns and controls that wealth and technology. And in short, you can't plan what you don't control and you can't control what you don't own. As a Marxist, it's, it's clear that the fundamental question has to be of eliminating the massive barrier of private ownership of taking the wealth and technology that exists and putting it under a common, rational, democratic plan of production. This is fundamentally, and this fundamentally is what we mean as Marxism when we say revolution, a complete transformation of society, not trying to appeal to the mythical morality of capitalists or modify the system so it becomes more benevolent. You cannot expect to have a rational, um, you cannot expect to have a rational debate with people who defend a completely rational system. And we are confronted by the irrationality of capitalism every single day. It's a system where we have homeless, homelessness literally next to empty houses, mass unemployment alongside people who are forced or two, three, four jobs, austerity against, against the working class on one hand. And on the other hand, we clearly see the rich getting richer. Capitalism isn't about morality. It isn't about rationality. It's about profits of a, it is about the profits of a tiny few. We cannot persuade these kinds of people with arguments or morality. You, you can't even persuade them with economic arguments. For the capitalists, it would be much cheaper to deal with this crisis now as opposed to dealing with it later. But capitalists still don't listen to these so-called rational arguments. We cannot persuade capitalists to save the planet because they already live on a completely different planet from the rest of us. They live somewhere else. Uh, they live somewhere they can pay their way out of feeling the effects. And you know, I actually mean this literally. I mean, Elon Musk is still trying to go to Mars. Right? So under capitalism, there is an irreconcilable contradiction between production and the appropriation of capital. On one hand, our production is socialized. Workers from different branches of industry work together and collaborate in their workplaces. On the other, the wealth that those workers produce is, appropriate, is appropriated privately, and, it's, and it is concentrated into fewer and fewer hands. This contradiction of capitalism is the fundamental driving force behind war, poverty, starvation, all the misery we experience today. Our planet is being destroyed from a reliance on non-renewable resources and corporate disregard for a crumbling world in pursuit of profit. While the ruling class tries to shoulder blame on workers and offer reusable glass jars and hybrid vehicles as a solution to climate change, they ravage the environment, crossing every inch of the globe, searching for resources, new markets, and cheaper workers. Environmental destruction is inherent to a system based on private ownership of the means of production and production for profit. The capitalist doesn't care about the world as moral. 
but only about how much money they can squeeze out of the earth today. Now, I've been beating around the bush a little bit here, but the only real solution is to get rid of capitalism. We need a fundamental transformation of society to a higher form, i.e. socialism. We need to break through the obstacles of private property in the nation state. And what we need is the organization of all layers of the working class, a united struggle against capitalism. The anarchy of capitalism can only be addressed by a rationally planned economy controlled by the workers, producing for the needs of humanity and not for the needs of profit. The seeds of the future social society are still contained within our present capitalist one. If we just look to a capitalist factory, we'll find that capitalists know all about planned production, that their production is not let up, left up to the market economy. Take a car manufacturer, for example. They don't sit around waiting for free market to decide what parts will arrive, how many workers will be on shift, or where finished cars will be distributed. These things are highly planned because even capitalists know that planning production is a superior way of producing things and mitigating waste. Under socialism, this planning can be generalized and the appropriation of wealth that is produced can be socialized. Marxists believe that the working class is entitled to all it creates, that our bosses shouldn't be leeching the profits that we produce. We do not want to be, nor do we have to be scavenging for crumbs. And you know what? We shouldn't have to be settled on getting a whole pie. We should get the whole damn pie factory. Capitalism relies on the exploitation of workers. It cannot function without depriving the classes that built the world as we know it, the working class, of all the wonders that exist. The environmental movement has been gaining strength in the past few years, and the capitalists have again tried to divide the, the movement by making the question seem to be, well, do you want jobs or do you want the environment or do you want to save the environment? Do you want jobs or do you want to respect indigenous communities? As Marxists, we should be rejecting these questions because fundamentally there is no real conflict between all these forces. Marxists argue that there is a solution that incur, that ensure the creation of good jobs that will respect the environment and respect indigenous communities. The solution lies with the genuine nationalization of the commanding heights of the economy under workers' control. We need to have a rational plan for the development of society. And I'll go back to what I said before, that you can't plan what you do not control. You can't control what you do not own. For example, how can we even begin to build a sustainable supply of energy when the electricity, uh, when the electricity industry, mines and water companies are privately owned? operating solely to make profit? How do we begin to respect indigenous communities when these same companies go and extract the natural wealth of these lands despite being opposed to by indigenous people? Nationalized under a socialist pattern of production, monopolies that were once the main source of uncontrolled emissions and destructions could employ modern green technologies to slash emissions and pollution in the space of just a few years. By combining the best scientific minds with the skills of workers in industry under, dem under democratic workers control, we can put all society's technological abilities and resources at the service of humanity and the planet, instead of a profit of a minority. Left-wing political and social movements are on the rise around the world. The task now is to take the militancy and radicalism of the stupid climate strikes into these wider movements, with workers and youth fighting together for bold socialist environmental policies. In some countries, the climate strikers have correctly reached out to trade unions for support. This is the correct approach. The unions must now respond by supporting students with mobilization and strike actions. This is not just an issue for young people, but something that affects all workers. The power of the organized working class armed with the socialist program would be unstoppable. And as Marxists will constantly remind you, not a light bulb shines, not a wheel turns without the gentle permission of the working class. The technology and science exists to deal with climate change. 
But under capitalism, these forces are destroying planet Earth, not saving it. Exploitation, oppression, and environmental destruction are inescapable under a system based on private ownership of the means of production. Capitalism will eventually destroy our planet and humanity along with it. So the choice placed on us is really simple. It's socialism or barbarism. And to be frank, to me, socialism sounds much better. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this alone. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Repos. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode is General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. It can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.